Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, hello, welcome, nerds. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, that woman, Liv. Well, here we are again with the story of Perseus and all the things he did before and after removing that poor woman's head from her body just because he said something dumb to an asshole king. Of course, now that he has Medusa's head, a lot of the stories involve him just shoving her decapitated head in people's faces to turn them to stone. But fortunately, there is a bit more to it than that. And even when there isn't, 
There are characters aside from Perseus to make things very, very interesting. Like, say, Andromeda. The real reason we're here today. Andromeda is the princess of Ethiopia who will go on to be the mother and grandmother and great-grandmother and so on and so on and so on of so many heroes and characters of Greek myth. This is episode 137, Andromeda, Phoenician, Ethiopian royalty, and monsters turned to stone. Having killed Medusa and fled from her sisters, Perseus has continued on his journey. According to some, he made that stop to either turn a man named Atlas or the Titan Atlas to stone. Since he had traveled all that way west, he now found himself in North Africa, specifically ancient and mythological Ethiopia. Not necessarily modern Ethiopia, but in the general region, it's that sort of realm of northern Africa. I won't try to explain where it would have actually been on the continent of Africa, because frankly, it doesn't seem easy to figure out. But what matters is that it was absolutely on the continent of Africa, and in this case, on the coast somewhere. But the Ethiopia visited by Perseus and generally in North Africa was founded by Phoenicians as a Phoenician colony. This bit's only peripherally important, but it's interesting. Still, I'm getting ahead of myself. King Cepheus and Queen Cassiopeia are these Phoenician-Ethiopian royalty ruling the region where Perseus will find himself. There are variations on who is king at this time, lots of intricacies on who exactly the characters are in this bit of the story, or at least what their names are. This is primarily because our main ancient Greek sources for the story of Perseus and Andromeda and whatever happened on that coastline of ancient mythological Ethiopia are two entirely lost plays by Euripides and Aeschylus. We know they wrote these plays. We know the basic premises, that being the rescue of Andromeda. But we don't know much more than the fact that these plays were about that and they are gone. Instead, the sources we have for the story then come from much later, much, much later, during the Roman period, because they are Apollodorus and my beloved Ovid. I won't dive into the intricacies of this one because, frankly, I feel like I really overdid it with the variations last week, but these moments of their story come from Ovid's metamorphoses and thus are quite a bit more showy than the rest of Perseus' story. Still, today, the king of Ethiopia is Cepheus and his queen is Cassiopeia. And what is important and what I believe is as ancient as Perseus himself is where this royal family came from, Phoenicia. They are, it seems, in some way related to the ancient Phoenician mythological family of Agenor. Agenor was the father of Cadmus and Phoenix, among others, and he's either the father of Cepheus here or he's a grandfather, but that Cepheus or this king was originally from 
Phoenicia seems pretty clear, and it checks out for the region as a whole as Phoenicia had colonies all over North Africa, like the most famous one we've all heard of now, Carthage, founded, mythologically, by our beloved Queen Dido, who was a refugee of Phoenicia. I lay all this out because I have in the past pointed out that Andromeda was an Ethiopian princess, and thus a woman on whom we would now ascribe blackness. I phrase it like that because the ancient Mediterranean and the Greeks specifically had no concept of whiteness or blackness or anything else. They had lots of bad xenophobic issues, yes, but skin color wasn't one of them. But this family, and thus Andromeda, were from Ethiopia, but they're also originally from Phoenicia, as Phoenician colonizers, from what is modern Lebanon. It's a fascinating extra bit, but in all of these cases, they weren't what we would now call white, and they weren't Greek, but they were themselves colonizers in their own way. This doesn't take away from the powerful aspect of Andromeda being an African queen, and it doesn't take away from the importance of this founding hero of Greece marrying this woman, and that they together would found this dynastic legacy on mainland Greece, because either way, she was absolutely not white. She was a badass brown or black princess in our more modern understanding of the terms, and that is fascinating in its own right. Andromeda is very cool, although she says almost nothing. Of course, Perseus didn't arrive in Ethiopia to a warm welcome by the king and queen. He didn't arrive to a kind introduction to their princess, where they would fall in love and then live happily ever after. Because, of course, the gods are involved. In Ovid's beautiful and descriptive telling of the story, Perseus comes upon Andromeda chained to a rock awaiting death in the gaping maws of a horrifying sea monster. He finds her, and he's immediately taken with her beauty. I would have hoped he was more concerned with her situation than her beauty, but a Greek hero is a Greek hero. He is, of course, also concerned with the situation she finds herself in, but he's most taken with how gorgeous and hot he finds her. So taken, it seems, that for a moment, he even forgets to keep himself in the air with those fluttering sandals. Perseus comes upon Andromeda, and he asks her what's happened. Why and how does she find herself in such a pickle? After some fluttering eyes and a bit of embarrassment about speaking with a strange man, even though she's chained to a rock awaiting death by sea monster, Andromeda eventually explains what's happened. So the story goes, the queen Cassiopeia had bragged that her daughter Andromeda was more beautiful than the Nereids, the sea nymphs. Why anyone even considers saying something like this ever is truly beyond me. Do you all never learn? Cassiopeia brags that her daughter is more beautiful than the Nereids. She may have even challenged them to some sort of beauty contest. And this, obviously is the cause of all their troubles. Ovid isn't particularly concerned with the details on how bragging about beauty comparable to the Nereids got Andromeda into her pickle, so for those details we turn to other sources who all seem to agree that the Nereids were furious over this slight, that much we could have expected, and that they voiced their fury to Poseidon, the god of their domain. Poseidon is eager to listen to the complaints of the Nereids, these nymphs of the salt water, and to punish Cassiopeia, or rather, to punish Andromeda for the slight. 
Also, I mean, let's be honest, Poseidon probably jumped at the chance to cause so much trouble for mortals because he is truly the most dickish and horrible of all the Olympians. Cassiopeia isn't the one directly punished for her actions, even though she's the one who did it. She's punished through the punishment of her daughter. And her daughter is punished because she was the one who with the beauty in question. Poseidon first sends a flood to this kingdom of Ethiopia, and he accompanies the flood with a Ketos, not a fucking kraken, as if I haven't said that enough times. Ketos is generally the name for sea monsters in Greek mythology, named for the OG sea monster, the goddess of sea monsters, Keto. Coincidentally, she is also the mother of all the women covered in last week's episode, with their father, Phorcus. But we're not to believe that the Keto sent by Poseidon here was that queen of the sea monsters, just rather one of her many monsters. The flood and the sea monster ravage this kingdom in Ethiopia for some time, though how long is unclear. It's long enough, though, for the king and queen to be desperately seeking an answer for how to stop the sea monster. So they visited an oracle. They were in Africa, so they visited the Oracle of Ammon, an oracle many hundreds of miles west of Memphis in Egypt at the Siwa Oasis. At some point, this Egyptian god Ammon gets connected with Zeus at this oracle site, I think most notably after Alexander the Great conquered Egypt, so it's tough to say whether this oracle bit is as ancient as Perseus or inserted later, but it makes the most sense for what happens next. The Oracle of Ammon at the Siwa Oasis prophesies that the terrorizing of the Kedos and the floods of Poseidon will only abate if King Cepheus and Queen Cassiopeia sacrifice their daughter, Andromeda, to the monster. And with this, we return to Ovid's version as the one with the most, and often the most entertaining, details. Perseus has found poor Andromeda chained to the rock. He's asked her who she is and why and how she finds herself there, but before she can finish explaining it, the sea monster rises from the sea in front of Perseus. The sound of the creature cuts Andromeda off mid-sentence. Both are distracted by the horror rising before them. Perseus is startled by the beast. Andromeda cries out, and it's then that Perseus seems to notice that the woman's parents are standing pretty close to the rock, watching as their daughter is about to be sacrificed. King Cepheus and Queen Cassiopeia watch, not far off, as the Ketos descends towards their only daughter. And this, this moment as the monster has shown itself right before this woman who's chained to a rock awaiting her death is when Perseus decides to ask about marrying her. Andromeda is chained to a rock, crying out and screaming because there's a literal fucking sea monster coming at her, having burst from the sea in a show of scary monster glory. Her parents are nearby, crying out for their daughter, unable to help her because they feel this is their only option, the only way to prevent the monster from continuing to ravage their city, from killing everyone in its path, let alone only way to stop the horrible floods being sent by Poseidon. The woman is literally moments from death. And so Perseus asks if he can marry her. That's right. 
Before he bothers to save her, while the monster is right fucking there, Perseus begins his speech to Andromeda's parents. <clears throat> Quote, there will be time for tears, but later, now precious little time is left to save her. You'd think after he's pointed out how little time there is to save her would probably be the best time to shut the fuck up and save the poor woman, but you'd be wrong. Perseus continues, quote, If I should seek your daughter as my wife, I, Perseus, son of Jupiter and Danae, to whom, when she was prisoned by her father, the god descended in a fecund shower of gold, I, Perseus, I, who have defied the Gorgon with her serpent tresses, I, who dare to ride the air with beating wings, should I not be the one you would prefer above all others as your son-in-law? Oh, what, you, you thought he was done? You thought that speech might have been a little long for something taking place when a woman is literally moments away from death? You think maybe he should be keeping it brief? You know, because time is of the essence? Ha, 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 this is Greek myth. Perseus isn't done yet. He goes on, talking about how much he's done, that he has gods as allies, that he has got great gifts, and that he wants to add another claim to fame, another bit of heroism. He wants to save their daughter. But he wants to save their daughter if he can marry her. If not, who knows? Would he have actually let the woman die if her parents hadn't agreed to let her marry him? Let alone the fact that obviously they're not asking her what she thinks. Which I mean, besides the fact that women didn't get a say in these things, she's a bit busy. Anyway, Perseus finishes his speech with, quote, If my bravery succeeds, I'll have her as my wife. Is that agreed? King Cepheus and Queen Cassiopeia agree obviously. And they don't make a whole fucking speech out of it because their daughter is awaiting her imminent death that is literally moments away because there is a sea monster staring her down. Anyway, they agree because they're sane and they want her saved. But even if they didn't, Perseus is a pretty good catch. Anyway, here's yet another fucking reason I just love Greek mythology. Like, what in the hell is that? Just fucking save her, Perseus, and hope it works out in the end. It's just a little bit urgent, after all. Still, obviously, things work out just fine. Perseus sets out to kill the monster now that he's sure he'll be able to marry the woman that he saves. Fingers crossed she likes him, too. It's quite the fight between the two. Perseus finally utilizes not only his ability to fly with Hermes' winged sandals, but also the weapons he has, either those he brought from home or those he was given by the gods. But he really accomplishes something by killing this Ketos. It isn't as simple as showing the monster Medusa's head. It's all about skill and heroism and actually earning something for once. Now, we don't have details as to why Perseus doesn't, in this case, just use Medusa's head to kill the creature, because he's already done that to turn Atlas to stone, and I find this really interesting. It isn't his first thought to just whip out the Gorgon's head, nor does it seem to occur to him at all, and so maybe it isn't even an option. This missing piece lends itself to the idea that Medusa's head might only be able to turn people, or maybe even men, to stone, a theory that I love very much. But Medusa's poor severed head aside, Perseus finally defeats the Kedos. It's a big show of heroism, not only for saving Andromeda, but for the act itself. The fact that he's actually able to defeat this creature all on his own. Ovid's final description of their very epic and very detailed fight is, quote, Perseus drives his blade three times and then a fourth. He sinks his sword into the monster's guts. 
this kingdom in Ethiopia is saved. Andromeda is saved. Her parents are very happy. And, well, a wedding is in order. Again, fingers crossed, she likes him. Isn't it romantic? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
with Andromeda saved from the sea monster and the kingdom itself saved as a result, King Cepheus and Queen Cassiopeia, along with their entire Ethiopian kingdom, are celebrating this strange young man who happened to arrive at the right place at the right time and wearing the right winged sandals. Andromeda, meanwhile, is meeting her fiancé for the first real time. What a bizarre life women got to lead in stories like this. Holy hell. Anyway, Andromeda's in the midst of peeling herself off this rock, rubbing her wrists to soothe the pain of the chains, breathing for the first time in who knows how long, and the sky rolls up. She's only met him briefly, you know, when she had to explain why she was chained to a rock awaiting death by a sea monster. And sure, he helped get her out of the pickle, but now he's in her face all, hey, we're going to get married. Ovid says, quote, she, the cause of his hard trial, is also his reward. Ick. Perseus goes to the nearby water to wash himself off after the whole sea monster battle situation. I bet he's pretty gross. And he's really careful with what he does with Medusa's head. He doesn't want to harm the poor woman's already severed head. He piles up some plants fresh from the sea beneath her so that she isn't damaged, and that, Ovid says, is why coral becomes rock hard when it's out of the sea, because Medusa's head leaked some of its stony magic onto the plants. With Perseus clean and everything sorted, a bit of coral sorted out for the future, the king is ready to celebrate, and to put on a bit of a wedding for Perseus and Andromeda. You know, the woman whose voice we have barely heard and whose opinion on her upcoming marriage we absolutely haven't heard. Again, what a life. The gods are sacrificed to, altars are worshipped at, the goddess Athena and the god Hymen are both given their sacred dues, if separately. A great party is thrown with feasting and with lots and lots and lots of wine. And then the king and the queen ask Perseus about how he found himself there in their kingdom, and specifically how it was that he defeated the Gorgon Medusa. With this, Perseus launches into a whole speech about Medusa, her death and the help he received from the gods. He talks about the birth of Pegasus and Chrysior from the severed neck of poor Medusa. He doesn't pity her much. Though when Cepheus finally asks Perseus why it was that Medusa was the only one of the three Gorgon sisters whose hair was made of snakes, Perseus tells that story of Medusa being raped by Poseidon, of Athena punishing her for this, and how this was the cause of Medusa's sad fate. So Perseus and Andromeda are together. The sea monster is defeated, poor Medusa's head is safely stowed away in the bag. Are Perseus and now Andromeda ready to return to Greece and handle the situation with Polydectes? Not quite yet. It seems Andromeda is in high demand. There was, in fact, a man in her kingdom of Ethiopia who had already been intending to marry her, who had considered her to be so-called promised to him. And that man was named Phineas. And he was, gross as it may be, Andromeda's uncle. Cepheus's brother. Phineas arrives in the midst of these celebrations with Perseus and Andromeda while Perseus isn't telling the story of heroism. You know, the story of when he killed the sleeping lady just to take her head. And suddenly, the sounds of celebration transform into the sounds of fighting, of strife. Phineas is about to attack Perseus when Cepheus speaks to him, asking him, really, what the fuck does he think he's doing? 
this is when we learn that Phineas was meant to marry Andromeda because Cepheus makes the argument that it wasn't Perseus who took Andromeda from Phineas, but in fact the wrath of the Nereids and the monster that resulted in the oracle that requested she be sacrificed. It was all of those bits and pieces that meant that Andromeda was never going to marry Phineas, and so he should really just be thankful to Perseus for saving her? This is what Cepheus explains to his brother. Phineas counters with some woe-is-me nonsense, to which Cepheus points out, Hey, dude, if you were so into marrying her, then maybe you should have been the one to save her from the sea monster? To free her when she was chained to a rock? And as much as this whole mess is creepy and weird because we haven't heard a fucking peep from Andromeda since Perseus found her chained to the rock in the first place, Cepheus does have a really good point here. And from then on, well, it's a whole fight. Lots of people involved, many names that feel very unnecessary for you all to learn, let alone for me to learn. There's a fight. It's detailed. There are men from all over helping Phineas and all over helping Perseus and battle, 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 sword, sword, swords. It's a whole to-do. But in the end... What matters is that eventually Perseus gets sick of fighting everyone in actual hand-to-hand combat, so he whips out Medusa's head and he turns a minimum of 200 men to stone. Frankly, that is too many men. I mean, it's too many in terms of how many are now dead, but even just logistically. Like, imagine now being stuck with 200 life-size human statues. That's so much stone! (laughs) And once Perseus has taken out these 200 men with Medusa's head, that's when Phineas decides he'd really rather not be fighting Perseus. He starts to apologize, to explain himself. He says he he wasn't really out to hurt Perseus ever. He just wanted the woman he was meant to marry. He makes a real show of sounding repentant, of trying to explain that he didn't really do anything wrong and oh oh oh, Perseus shouldn't show him Medusa's head too but Perseus isn't having it with a quick speech about how deserving Phineas is of this fate Perseus whips out Medusa's head and quote Phineas's neck grew stiff the tears he shed were turned to stone and looking so in marble now he stayed His face displayed his cowardice his pleading gaze his hands implored The statue caught his cringing stare. And so now, with that excessive murder of 200 plus people by turning them into stone, now Perseus and Andromeda are finished with that kingdom in Ethiopia, and the couple begin their trek to return to Perseus's home on the island of Seraphos. But, according to Ovid... Perseus first returns to Argos, where he was born. There, his grandfather, King Acrisius, has actually already been overthrown by a man named Protus. Though Acrisius didn't deserve the help, Perseus helps him by using Medusa to turn Protus, this usurper, to stone. Quote, He could not defeat the savage gaze of Gorgon, grim, snake-wreathed. Honestly, Perseus really should have just killed Acrisius. I'm not sure why he didn't. I feel like he does in other sources, but Ovid has him forgiven for, you know, trying to kill both Perseus and Danae by trapping them in a box and sending them out to sea. Anyway, with that bit handled in Argos, this is when, according to Ovid, Perseus returns to his adoptive home on Seraphos, where all of this began, where the king Polydectes had sent him off to retrieve Medusa's head, however long ago now, 
just so that the king could marry Danae, Perseus's mother, without the influence or interference of her son. And, well, according to all the most ancient surviving sources, Pindar and Pharakides, not only does Perseus show Polydectes Medusa's head, thus both completing the quest as required and killing Polydectes by turning him to stone, it seems he also does the same for all of the people on Seraphos. Why? Why are these heroes so very monstrous? Anyway, yeah, according to Pindar and Pharakides, Perseus not only kills Polydectes, but he turns an entire island's worth of people to stone. Excluding his mother, Danny, and Dictus, that nice fisherman who saved them so many years ago. With that sorted, if horrifically and with a lot of unnecessary murder of civilians, Perseus installs Dictus as king of Seraphos, presumably to a whole new set of residents, and he returns to Argos with his new wife, Andromeda, and his mother, Danae. Athena puts Medusa's head on her Aegis shield, as Perseus no longer has need for it, and the varied gifts of the gods are returned to their rightful owners. Perseus and Andromeda, the Phoenician-Ethiopian princess, go on to have children, beginning the line of Argives that will eventually lead, just a couple generations down the line, to Heracles himself. And, well, I guess they kind of did live happily ever after. Before we're done with today's episode, I want to talk about a piece of writing that I read shortly before writing today's script. I've linked to it in the episode's description. It was submitted anonymously to the Sententiae Antiquae website, and it's called Just a Girl Being Briseis. It's really powerful generally, but major trigger warning up front about sexual assault. Essentially, it's a very personal essay about assault and the author's personal connection with it, and then the connection to teaching the Iliad. But it's caused me to think a bit about how I covered Briseis and Chryseis' stories in the Iliad. I don't think I ever suggested any kind of romantic association, at least I certainly hope I didn't, but I also don't think I made it clear enough just what an absolute horror show it is that the entire Iliad is, in essence, built around the fact that these Greek men are fighting over women that they've recently enslaved. And not just recently enslaved, but they razed her town to the ground. They killed everyone she knew and they enslaved everyone else. And she's passed around like a prize. Chryseis' story is similar, though she's fortunate enough to be returned to her father, leaving more horror for Briseis. When talking about the Iliad, and frankly about Song of Achilles, we need to keep those things in mind. These stories have been told by stuffy old white men for so long that often those interpretations get melded deep within the stories themselves, and we lose some of the ability to look at them objectively. Or there's people who would have you think something like the Iliad is untouchable, that something so old and ancient shouldn't be viewed through this modern lens, that we shouldn't be pointing out how utterly horrific these parts of the story are, because quote-unquote, that's just the way things were. 
obviously that's basically the whole point of my podcast, pointing out how problematic that shit is and pointing out that we absolutely can and should examine these stories through these modern lenses, these modern understandings of what is right and wrong, particularly when it comes to the treatment of women. But I worry my mind was clouded by the song of Achilles back when I covered the Iliad, and so I wanted to set the record straight. While I love that book entirely, the portrayal of Briseis in it is deeply problematic. I'm sure it's based in the sourcing that she slept with Achilles every night, etc, etc. And I know it touches on her enslavement and trauma. But just romanticizing any of that part of the story is really troubling. And it removes some of the horror of the Greeks, some of the blame for their actions in the Trojan War and in the Iliad. Because to make it very clear, the Greeks, the Achaeans, are absolutely the bad guys in the Iliad in every way and in every moment. Anyway, I was just really moved by that piece of writing. It's brief and meaningful if you want to read it. Again, it's linked in the episode's description. And just think about this the next time you look into any of these stories, the next time you watch Troy or read The Song of Achilles. We should do better for Briseis. I would love to do an episode on her and Chryseis, but that's part of the problem. They have so little story in the sources, their voices are so silenced, that even though they are this major part of the Iliad, these major catalysts for the whole story, there isn't even enough for an episode on the two of them together. But we can talk about them at least, we can have these conversations, and we can read pieces like that incredible Just a Girl being Briseis. Hello, you wonderful listeners. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, I'm so thankful for any of you every week. It's all very cool. It's been a while since I've asked. So as always, I would be really grateful for any five star reviews by you all on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't listen there, if you're able to hop on just to review the show, it would mean a lot. Unfortunately, Apple is the only place where the reviews matter and they feed out to basically every other platform except for Spotify. So reviews are really appreciated. Plus, I still get assholes in my reviews complaining about how I talk about men because some dudes can't see the difference between all men and men who assault women. And they also can't wrap their heads around the fact that if they don't like a podcast, they could simply not listen. But it means that if you can give me a review to offset those jerks, it's always nice. You are all the best. Next week, well... Speaking of all the women hurt by that fucking Trojan War and how little their stories get told... We're diving into another of Euripides' most incredible and most important plays, Iphigenia at Aulis. Thank you all. I am Liv, and I love this shit. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done when you have health insurance it's easy to think i'm covered no worries not so fast remember your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance that can be a lot of money for your family But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider.